Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm so happy to be here. I'm your host, Amanda G. Thank you so much for tuning in. We love you all so much. Thank you for helping this podcast grow and become what it has become. If you're listening for the first time, this podcast was created, Near and Queer to My Heart was created to get to know the lives and tales. Tales as in stories, not tales as in actual tales. Some people think that us gays have tails and horns and that holy water is going to burn our skin and that is some bullshit. What is true is we have better taste, and we were the ones who created brunch. So take that, straight white girls. I'm just kidding, straight white girls. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. Now, this episode, I'm so excited to bring this one. This is the last of three that we recorded at the Memphis Comedy Festival at the OAM Network Studios, our Memphis trifecta, if you will. So big thanks to OAM and Memphis Comedy Festival for hooking us up, for taking care of us while we were there. We love you all so much. Now, for those who know me, for those who know Amanda G, you already know this. You already know this. But for those who don't, I'm going to let you in on a little something. I'm going to, you know, as hosting this, I'm asking performers to share their lives, their tales, not actual tales, but stories with y'all. So I got to do the same. I got to come clean for some shit, you know? One of the things, if you know me, you already know this. If you don't, you're going to find out. I'm a huge Mariah Carey fan. True story. Amanda G is a huge Mariah Carey fan. At one point, I really wanted to be her biggest fan. That was like my goal. It was my dream. But I have met some of her biggest fans, and I I can't compete. They win hands down. There's no competition. They got me. The closest I came to being her biggest fan was when I was 12 years old. For her birthday, I decided to write her a 17-page letter. Because what better way to celebrate your birthday than to receive a 17-page letter from a 12-year-old that you don't know? I'm so glad 12-year-old me was like, don't send this. Like, something in me was... What I what I did was I actually, like, thought about, oh, my God, what if she does receive this? Somehow it makes it through all the filters and gets to Mariah, and she reads all 17 pages of this. Like, I was like, am I crazy, or is it like we're going to be best friends for life? But I decided not to send it. Now, you're probably thinking, like, what the fuck can you write for 17 pages to someone that you don't personally know? Well, I'll tell you. When they're your idol, you write everything. I figured, like, I write about her life. I, you know, any articles that were out, we didn't have the internet then. Any articles that were out, any singles, I used to get tape singles, CD singles, anytime anything mentioned Mariah, she was on any late night show, I had my VHS recording. So, uh, I thought the same. It should go both ways, right? If I'm learning everything about her, she should learn everything about me. So I just wrote her everything about me. I wanted to share with her all my secrets, how I lived my day. I sent to her my school schedule so she knew exactly what happened all day. I told her about my family shit. And then the last five pages or what I spent doing is going through her entire discography and explaining to her what I felt about every song she ever made. Because that's, that's what she wanted. I know it. I'm actually really glad, really glad that 12-year-old me did not send that letter. But I, I've thought about it over the years because I don't remember throwing it away. 
Like, I don't know what happened to it. And, you know, when I got older and my parents split up and they divided up all the stuff in the house and the letter wasn't there. So I don't know if it's floating around out there. I don't know if somebody's holding it for ransom, but got no money. So good luck getting that ransom. I guess whatever happened to that letter is a question for another day. Now, I've seen some of Mariah's biggest fans. I've seen fans with tattoos of her face on their body. I've seen fans that have traveled all over Japan, Australia, just to see her perform. They've seen her hundreds of times. And they wouldn't consider me a big fan. I have seen her live. I've seen her four times live. They would consider that weak sauce. They would say to me, shame, 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 Amanda G. Shame. I've never seen a Game of Thrones episode, but I learned about the shame, shame, shame the hard way when a whole room shame, shame, shamed me. I got hired one day to keep score at a Game of Thrones trivia, and uh, they found out that I'd never seen a single episode, and this whole room of 60, 70 people yelling, shame, 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 and they were enjoying every minute of it, and I didn't get the reference, so... You know, I looked it up later, figured it out. They enjoyed that, but then later on they didn't enjoy when they got the wrong answer, but they thought it was right because in episode four, three minutes and 40 seconds in, this character said this to somebody else and therefore they were right. And arguing with me was futile because their words meant nothing. As a joke to someone, I said, wait, is this the one with Narnia in it? I thought it was hilarious, but they did not take it that way. Probably got shame, shame, shamed a little bit more. I don't know. Look, I have nothing against Game of Thrones. I'm probably going to watch it one day. When I watch it, I'm probably going to love it. The reason I haven't watched it is it just feels really overwhelming. There's the books, there's the show, there's so many seasons, and it's the kind of show you really have to pay attention to. Sounds like there's a lot of characters, a lot of different things happening. I can't be playing Candy Crush and also, you know, have Game of Thrones on in the background. And when I get home from work and I'm thinking about, hey, what do I want to watch tonight? Do I want to start with Game of Thrones where some people are telling me I got to read books first and then I got to watch the show or I got to watch the show and then read books? Or do I want to sit down and watch the Golden Girls eat cheesecake in their kitchen and talk shit about dudes, which is my favorite thing to do in the world? I choose that. It's comfortable. I love it. They crack me up. I have a good night. How do we start this? Started with Mariah Carey, talking about Game of Thrones, Golden Girls. You never know where this shit's going to go. Oh yeah, the reason I started talking about this, Mariah Carey recently did an interview with People Magazine where she revealed that she's bipolar. And since people know I'm a fan, a lot of people come up to me and they, hey, what do you think about this? Whenever Mariah's in the news, what do you think about her New Year's performance? What do you think about this? Because they want, they know I'm going to have a positive spin on it. They know that I'm never going to see any faults in her. And they're right. But I will say with this, and Mariah, if you're out there, or if somebody's out there that might know Mariah, or maybe if you have my 17-page letter, this is a good time to send it. I just want to say, Mariah, we support you over here at Near and Queer to My Heart. And we thank you for taking that step and sharing your journey. And hopefully it will help others to share theirs. Because that's part of why we do this podcast. People open up, they share their lives, they share their coming out stories or, you know, anything else that's happened in their life. And maybe someone out there relates. Maybe someone says, hey, that happened to me, or this is happening to me. And it's nice to see someone come through on the other side. So that's why we're all here. So let's get to the episode, right? This is our 11th episode, recorded it in Memphis. It was so cool traveling around to these festivals, meeting so many great queer comics. So this episode, we bring you stand-up Ian Aver. Ian's based out of Atlanta. He runs, I think he runs six shows. He runs a ton of shows. He's on a bunch of shows. He does a bunch of festivals. He's doing Laughing School now. And then I'm excited because I just found out that I get to see Ian and also Lauren Faber from the last episode, get to see them in August for another festival. There's a first ever Midwest Queer Comedy Festival, which is happening in Columbus, Ohio, August 22nd to 26th. So we're all going to be there. It'll be good to see everyone again. But in the meantime, you get to hear this awesome episode with Ian. Ian cracks me up. Like, he cracks me up in one moment, and the next moment, like, I want to cry because he's just so wonderful. So let's get to the episode. Give it up for Ian Aber. Hey, 
Hello. Hi, Hi, Ian. Hi, how are you? Good, good. to see you. Yeah, good to see you again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've seen you great. four times in the last th- three days. Yeah, right? It's festival It's festival time. We're all just together in rooms to telling jokes to each other. It's amazing. Yeah, no, this festival, have you been to a festival that's treated you this well? Yeah, I mean, there's been a few that, that do pretty good, but yeah, they're, they're definitely great. They're up there in the... Yeah. Like hospitality and feeding us and getting us around. And just and checking in on my soul. Yeah, They're absolutely. They're just like, are you okay? Do you need it? Do you need a hug? Is that what you need? Do you need a ride? Do you need a fruit by the foot? Like, what do you need? Well, no one's offered me a fruit by the foot or a hug, so I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe I got the VIP treatment. Maybe I'm giving off like an aloof vibe. I don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna have to go and ask me like, where's my foot fruit? I'm a fruit. <laughs> Give it to me by the foot, please. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they were like, he's already been yeah. there, done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you're you're out of Atlanta? I am. I am out of Atlanta, Georgia. I've lived there for like 30 years, and I started doing stand-up comedy about six years ago. Okay, and where, where are you from before that? I was born in Bossier City, Louisiana, if you can't tell that I am a simple um, Louisiana boy. But my mom is from Chile, and uh, my dad was in the Air Force. We kind of lived all over. So I'm not really... Like, I'm from Atlanta. This is the longest I've lived anywhere. Uh, other places I've lived have been, like, Guam and Virginia. I lived briefly in Texas and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You know, fancy places. Oh, yeah. Bossier yeah, City is the fanciest. Oh, God. Lots know, of right? casino boats. Mm, it's a beautiful Do you remember? It? How old were you when I you was very little. I was very little. So, like, my, my father was stationed there. And there's, we do have some family from Louisiana, but that, I, we were there very briefly. So I've only been back as an adult and seen... The splendor in which I was born. So yeah, and you're like, good, good choice, mom. Yeah, and dad, absolutely, for, absolutely. For leaving. Yeah. So you went there. So you've been all. How did your parents meet? <laughs> my parents met. My mother uh, lived in Chile and wanted to go to, to to college in the United States of America. And the only way that that would happen was if my grandmother came with her and also enrolled in college and lived with her in a dorm room. I mean, that's what that was what was going on. So my mom was a freshman in college, and my grandmother. I was also a freshman in college and um, went to all of her classes. (laughs) I've never heard this before. Yeah, I know, right? Um, And this is legit. And so, and my mom met my dad, um, saw him get out of a Fiat, like a little Fiat car, a little two-door. And my dad's six foot five and um, in the parking lot of a Burger King. And my mom (laughs) laughed. She was like, oh, he looked like a clown getting out of that car. And my dad saw my mom laugh and took that as, like, interest and went and said hello to her, and they got married, and that's pretty much it. So my mom's initial reaction to my father was to mock him for being have such a small car. Yeah, but then he was into it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, which kind of typifies their relationship is that she's usually complaining about something. He's kind of into it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so did she finish all of college with her mom as her Dormate, no, or? I think she got married. Um, so I think part of getting married to my father was, you know, to Not get sure. out of that situation. I was like, dorm rooms are small. I mean, I, I had a really great roommate um, that I shared, but we had twin beds that yeah. were like really close to each other. Yeah. And you spend a lot of time together. And I, I love my mom, but that would be a lot at 18, 19, you know, Absolutely. at that, well, that age. Well, and also my grandmother, like, so my, my mom grew up kind of, I guess, well-to-do in Chile. She went to boarding school. And my grandmother was just basically like a socialite in the sense that she didn't have a job. She never did anything. So then my mom also had to like wash all of her clothes and feed her and oh. help her put her wig on and whatever other things. So, so my mom was like in a sense her attendant and also then had to help her do her homework. <laughs> and then it was her mom. Yeah, and that. go to school herself. Yeah. <laughs> so I, don't, I, I mean, she must have really wanted to get out of Chile. That's all I have to say. Because <laughs> she went through a bunch. But yeah, yeah. So that's how they met. 
my dad was in the Air Force, so he went to Vietnam, and you know, and then he flew B fifty two bombers for a long time. And so, yeah. where, where were you for high school? I went to high school some in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and some in Peachtree City, Georgia. I was about an hour outside of Atlanta. Its biggest claim to fame was that it had the most golf cart, uh, like paved golf cart path miles <laughs> per square foot than any other place on the planet. Congratulations. Uh, I know, right? It's a big so you deal. just ride your golf cart everywhere. <laughs> and nobody can ever beat that because nobody could just make more golf cart paths. I think, I think there's somewhere now that must have more. It's pretty much the only thing they had going for them. I'm, like, um, I'm sure our president would make sure Trump City would have enough. Yeah, know, absolutely. Would, would beat that absolutely. Out. Something. And it was fun. I, I loved I loved that school or going there specifically because it was so close to Atlanta. So like Atlanta's like a real city with actual gay people, you know, like uh, small towns like South Carolina tend to like in, in my estimation, like in the 80s, the the gay people were more, I guess, of the like Tennessee Williams variety. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that you would that you would meet as a like so I was like a teenager. So I couldn't go to the gay bar. So anybody that I knew that was gay that was out was sort of like a you know, had a sadness about them, I guess. I don't know. Were you out in high school? Um, no, I mean, I, it, retrospectively, I think I was because everybody knew and I really didn't. So like when people would call me gay, I didn't really shrink away from it. But at the same time, I didn't necessarily identify. I didn't identify as gay fully until I was like 21. But were you trying to date women or trying to like put on a... Oh, oh Cause we I, tried, I, sweetie. Yeah. We tried so much. <laughs> oh, I understand. <laughs> tried and tried and tried. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So I tried. I did. I did all that trying. So much trying. And but like it in my like probably about eight nineteen is when I was like okay well, you know I'm, I'm not gonna waste anybody's time I'm not gonna try to date anybody but it was about twenty one where I was finally like okay yeah, yeah I used to feel a lot of guilt about that about like because I I had enough of my own issues like trying to date straight men but then I just felt ba- like later on I just felt really bad because I'm like I I always knew you know and I'm like why am I putting someone else through this shit but you kind of have to you know it's it's part of the process for me it was part of the process of being able to be like this is not what i want and i know that because i've tried it absolutely absolutely you know and that was sort of what i did more like i would date girls who were kind of into the idea of not being monogamous and you know what i'm saying so i well, i like constructed it so that there was always some kind of like openness to it so that way i didn't feel so guilty when you know yeah i slept with their brother or whatever <laughs> Hey, you know. <laughs> so did you go to college? I did. I went to Georgia State University, go Panthers. Mm. And Georgia State's like a, it's more of a traditional college now, but it was like a commuter school back then, pretty much. And so like half the classes were like all women in their 40s who had just divorced their first husband or like going to get a career or whatever going. And then, then like traditional students, and I was sort of in the middle because like I started college later. Like I came out to my parents. And then they didn't like that too much, so um, there was some time where I didn't really hang out around around with them. And I didn't go to school; I just kind of fucked around for a while. Uh, so I started college like when I was about twenty, twenty-one. Um, but yeah, Georgia State, and I did it like part time for I don't know, like it took me like five, six years to get my undergrad. And I studied communications, like and market research. Like I was a business, sort of a business major, I guess. Is that what you wanted to do? Is that what you saw yourself? Um, doing it was at just that sort time? of what I felt. I had gotten a job at an ad agency and. They had needed somebody to do some work with their, they had this SAS database. This, it was just basically like I filled in one day trying to help get this report printed. And I was like, oh, I sort of have an aptitude for this. And so I just went into that field and worked in advertising for a while. Was it like Mad Men? Um, no, I mean, it was, scotch, I did go to around. a lot of strip clubs uh, <laughs> for to like to close deals on things that you wouldn't think anybody needed to see any titties for. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, a little bit. It's it's like it, it was sort of the end of that. You know what I mean? Like where I was in that was when they were just starting to get to the point where it's like, you know, the they couldn't justify those types of expenses the same way. You know, it's like that, yeah. you know, and, 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 and high up executives kind of bemoaning the good old days of, you know, oh, I remember where we could smoke in the office. And it's like, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> you know? like, yeah, it looks on, on TV. It always looks so pretty. Like, yeah. you know, Don Draper, and yeah. not just Mad Men, but all, you know, old movies. They make yeah. it look so beautiful. But you're thinking like we were just at an open mic at a bar in Memphis, P&H yeah. Cafe. That's a wonderful place, but you, they have smoke inside. And yeah. you can, you're like, this is not the glamour that the movies and the TV right? shows present. Absolutely. Well, in, in Atlanta, they still allow smoking in the bar. So there's a couple there's a couple spots like that where it's like, you know, you're going to stink, yeah. <laughs> stink um, pretty bad afterwards. But, yeah, and I remember being on, like, planes. Like, I've, I'm 45, so I remember being on planes, like, as a little kid. Like, we flew to Guam. Like, when we flew to Guam to move to Guam, you know, when I was in the Air Force, there was, like, somebody sitting next to me smoking a cigarette on a Pan Am flight, like, just – you know, for 16 hours, chain smoking. Yeah, and I know? never got that on airplanes because yeah. the airs are already so shitty yeah, on an yeah, airplane. Yeah, yeah. It's like this constructed air. It's and insane. Then you're just going to fill it up with smoke. <laughs> I'm like, and look, I don't mind. I don't mind people smoking. I, you know, I love, because I like to gamble. I like casinos and they're yeah. always filled with smoke. I don't mind, but they take care of it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have fans and systems in place. and. Well, that's like the place we were in last night. Everybody was smoking, but the, the ventilation was a little better or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um Get your degree, communications. Mm -hmm. You're in Peachtree still? Uh, no, I was living in Atlanta. I, was, okay. I was, had been living in Atlanta for a while. And You like the city life? Oh, uh, yeah. Big city. Is it, was there a lot of gay bars there back then? Yeah, Atlanta's pretty gay town. So, like, Atlanta's like the magnet city. So, it's like all the smaller towns in Georgia and the surrounding South Carolina, Alabama, you know, Tennessee. All those uh, country queens grow up. And then they move to the big city, and that big city is either going to be Nashville, Charlotte, Birmingham, Atlanta, and a lot of it's Atlanta. Yeah, so that's what we get in New Orleans. We yeah. get more, more like the Texas and Louisiana, like Bozier City. They would, you know. oh, then Bozier City Plains. <laughs> yeah, they come. I down want to us. get out of this town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, that's the town. The old term is the town faggot. The, you know, I hate to say it, but that's the, that's what it was, and that's what it is. Because those are those are the gay people that we knew. Like in my opinion, like we talk about, like especially now about visibility and visibility is like oh it's so important well there were gay people but they were always like the hairdresser or the you know what i mean like yeah. the the organist at the church and it's like but they were there you knew they were gay everyone knew they were gay even as a little kid i knew that person was gay yeah but know? nobody really like talked about it and yeah. nobody gave them more than a two-dimensional yeah. role it's like oh they're the hairdresser and that's all they are and that's all they do yeah. they're versus, that way they're yeah that way oh, i didn't it took me so long to know what that was because <laughs> that's the first like so you know people now hear gay or homosexual or whatever it is queer which I think queer is funny because queer is the first slur I ever heard. Yeah, we've had a lot of, uh, so this is Near and Queer to My Heart yeah. podcast, and I also host a show called Greetings from Queer Mountain, yeah. which I, you know, I'm 34, I'm not too far behind, but like, I, I consider that an umbrella term. Yeah, that absolutely. That fits everybody, and we've had a lot of complaints from older folks that won't, some people won't actually go to our show because we use the word queer in it, and they still consider that a slur. Well, I think in the South it was even, it was more prevalent as a, as a and slur. And it traumatized a lot, of, yeah, yeah. a lot of people. So some people of the older generation are like, I don't want anything to do with that word. Some people That's are so like, interesting. we're taking it back. Because yeah, yeah. like, fuck you for taking this word, you know. Well, in queer, the connotation of queer in the, to be in the 90s and 80s, like, so when I came out, the queer was a connotation of like, the, like gay is like your, that's it. The only thing different about you is that you're gay. Queer is that you're, you're queer even inside of the context of being gay. 
that you're different than the other gay people, that you're, you're basically weird. And I think in the modern context, it's, a, in a, in a, it's an umbrella term, but it's also a, um, an activist you're, you're, that, you're, that you're participating in the, in the process of you know, elevating queer people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where sometimes I feel like that the younger gay LGBT queer people tend to like. So when I say I'm queer, sometimes they're like, well, I don't see you at the butt. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, at, I'm in a, a straight bar every night being queer in front of straight people. You know, yeah. like I'm doing it. I'm, I am doing it, but in a totally different way. I'm not, you know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. But oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you feel um, performing for queer audiences versus straight audiences? Do you have like a different feeling or do you not care? Does it not matter? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have it, different experiences. My experience of, of, I will say this about Atlanta. Atlanta, like we've tried, myself and several other people have tried doing comedy in the gay bar to the point where it's like okay well in the main room here's comedy never well received right in the back room here's comedy all gay queer 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 for queer people we're queer everybody's queer not really into it but when i did a mic at a gay bar in the back room like the side so if you don't like it you don't have to come back here and it was i i didn't focus on booking queer people i just did it as a show and go mic and we just have, we have more straight comics in Atlanta than we have queer comics. So the lineup would be predominantly straight. And a lot of people who had never set foot in a gay bar would come to that mic because they just wanted stage time. They heard there was an audience. And that was the best show I've ever run. And it was interesting because the queer audience, like the audience that would come, they would either like hear a joke, think it's funny and laugh, or nothing. Like just, like just glares. Like, you know, like, oh, what are you talking about? Or like if it was somebody said something too homophobic or so, so stupid, they would be, they would like be vocally like, what are you, th- what are you, what are you doing? You know, like. <laughs> That's good for a lot of the, <laughs> it was beautiful. A lot of the comics. It was and, beautiful. Like, sometimes I wish, you yeah. know, they, they could hear that more where they're like, yeah. okay, here's, because sometimes with your comedy, you don't know where the line is yeah. until like, way past when you oh, absolutely, it. absolutely. And I feel like if, you know, a straight comic and just mostly doing straight bars and not really even having other experiences, not just gay, but like yeah. uh, different settings, different audiences, older, younger, different races, whatever, like you're going to get a different response and you're going to learn where your boundaries are. Absolutely. But a lot of straight comics would come like intentionally, like gay, straight guys would be like, I'm going to come work out my gay shit. Yeah. In the, in, and yeah. I know, right? Oh, <laughs> how much would I get paid to suck a dick? Well, and I would, <laughs> I would sometimes, depending on who they were, I would, I would sometimes I'd be like, well, you know, I don't know if necessarily you're, that's going to work the way you think it is, maybe just do your regular material. And then other times I would just go, oh, okay, well, I'll let the room correct you. Do you know what I mean? The yeah, room let, will handle this. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> Get out then, there. And then sometimes just the bat, as, as a host, batting cleanup after a set like that, <laughs> it's <laughs> fun. So, oh, yeah. Um, but it was a really great time. And, and what, I learned about, what I learned about that was is that, so what I do now, so I, produ- I produce shows and I, I work with a lot of co-producers, so I, I, there's a lot of shows that I run. And it's, I just focus on, marketing to everybody so if i market to the straight audience so i market to the comedy audience inside the comedy audience are queer people that come to the regular shows because those shows are like all the people who book in atlanta like you know joe pettis and andrew michael and andrew george at laughing school um, all those guys run shows and they book inclusive so there's always a queer person maybe not in every single show but if you go to those shows uh, consistently, you're going to see lesbian comics. You're going to see gay comics. You're going to see bi people. You're going to see poly. You, there's a yeah. lot of, you know. And so the queer audience doesn't necessarily have to have a show of their own because every show 
reflects them. If that make, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, and that's and, been the argument for because um, lesbian bars have kind of been a dying thing yeah. in, in America, and there's yeah. a lot of, there's some documentaries about it. Yeah, in, yeah. in New Orleans, we have an oral, a group that's doing the Dyke Bar History Project where they're Interesting. getting, yeah, they're getting oral histories from people who went through where like lesbian bars were illegal. I or, bet they are. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. <laughs> so I think it's the same thing with, yeah. with any performance space or just spaces where there is that, de- and it's a debate, and I don't have the right answer because I like having queer spaces and I think they're so important. Yeah. But I understand that people are like, but times are cha- have changed where you don't need it as much yeah. as you used to. So you don't necessarily need, like, this is the only stage that queer comics can be on. Yeah. Because in mainstream, I guess I'll call it mainstream, these stages are now saying, like, hey, come on in. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, it's interesting because, like, so in Atlanta, we just had this thing that in, in the drag community, not in the comedy community, but in the drag community, uh, there was a bar, Burkhart's, where the owner had been found to be posting racist um kind of anti-obama you know wish the south had won kind of posts and the community kind of blew up about it was like you know what the fuck is going on here and then the pressure went immediately on the performers so the bar was being held accountable and, and whatever but then everybody who does shows there the community was like what are you guys going to do about this and I, and I saw individual performers posting on Facebook. They're like, I, you know, like, you know, I, I, this, I need this money to live. The people on my show need this money to live. Da, da. And then all of those showrunners got together and talked amongst themselves and said, well, if we all walk away, the community will support us. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. it, and that's what happened. They all quit. So, uh, so oh, seven great. nights of programming walked out the door and they've sort of landed other places. Um, but what it made me realize is it was kind of like an epiphany to me because I've always thought about gay bars as literal spaces and they're not there. So the bar is just this, you know, it's a liquor license and a building and and, and advertisements and a brand. Yeah. But the the shows was what were people were coming to and the shows were what the safe space was. And the, you know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. if this drag if this drag show is the drag show that's also a dance party and it's genderqueer and it's all accepting and it's inclusive, blah, 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 which is uh, the one I'm describing. Is to- it's called Toss Salad with Brigitte Bidet. It's every Sunday at MSR. Go check it out. But th- that show, that's at the space. That's the So it's like we're in, the, we're, we're in the world where it's like the brick and mortar gay bar can be anywhere, I think. I think like we can take over a space and you know it's it's the producers and it's the audience and the and whoever's going to come to that show that will make it like you know where do you do greetings on queer mountain do you do it in a you know like in a gay something or is it just in a space somewhere well it was originally just in a space somewhere yeah. um and then for other reasons we, we moved it to a space that is they, they have all kinds of shows yeah it's called the always theater yeah and they used to be a place called Calpokes. Yeah. so you know they were they were an exclusively gay bar now they're yeah. always and yeah. it's all not you know yeah. always because they want to be inclusive to everybody yeah so yeah, yeah. that's where we have it it's just and but it is it is a space you're right about that yeah. they do a, a comedy show in the front there called local uproar every saturday at eight and that's not a queer show but it's it's a it's a safe space for everybody that's awesome and see and i think that's what it is it's like you know i had some friends of mine we had uh, we had this argument and it was like non it was all my gay friends non-comics about queer straight so straight people who also identify as queer and i'm like no that we need those people those people are like so those people like in bad times will be uh, handled as sympathizers if they, you know what i'm saying like yeah. that'll be the term for them what they are is like they are the they are the straight people who don't fit into the heteronormative society anymore uh and we need more of those people like if if you know if 10 new 10 new uh 
queer straights popped up every day, you know, the world would be a better place in a year or two. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, but to older queers or to to gay people who've had a hard time dealing with straight people who've been bullied or, you know, marginalized or, or passed over for promotions and you know, except that all that shit still happens. They want they want the LGBT community just for them, and the straight people can be on the outside but never yeah. inside. And I'm like, no, it doesn't make sense anymore. It's like to me, it's like. You know, let the cool, basically, yeah. let the cool street people on. It's okay, you know. Do you worry about being pigeonholed? I worry, I, I've been told a few times, like, oh, we wanted a lesbian comic for our show. And I, I worry about being pigeonholed as, like, you know, oh, there, there's a gay comic. We'll have her on because we need one gay comic to fill our gay comic quota or to show that we have diversity or, yeah. or that that's the reason versus, you know, hey, Amanda's funny in her own right, regardless yeah. of whether she's Jewish or gay or a woman or you know any other identifier absolutely but not just in comedy uh i think that like i like to say i'm only gay because everybody says that i am do you know what i'm saying yeah you know i'm not gay but my husband is or whatever <laughs> that joke is you know what i'm saying yeah. but i i'm not i don't i don't get up in the morning and and put that identity on you know what i'm saying it's like as the day progresses that matters more as i read the news and i see what they're doing in washington or whatever you know what i'm saying it's like then all of a sudden my identity rears itself up. So in comedy, it's the same way. But what I experienced, was I thought was really interesting when I first started was that as I got better, uh, people would be like, oh yeah, you know, we have this amazing queer comedy scene and, you know, and, and these queer comics are so great, and da, 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 and, you know, and I was always being told to start a show and by straight comics, start a queer show for the queer comedy scene. Yeah. Because you're a queer comic. And that's what you do. But what they were doing in a way was sequestering me from the main scene. So I'm not a comic doing a show. I'm a queer comic doing a queer show in the queer scene. Yeah, I mean? and that's your niche and yeah, you're not absolutely. taken away from yeah, yeah. what they have. And that's sort of why I kind of moved into the marketing towards everybody because I was like, you know what? You know, the the audience that's laughing at me the most, the one that sees me the most are all straight people or, or predominantly straight. So there's no reason for me not to, every show that I produce or do anything with, not be marketing towards that audience. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. Like, and in a way, I actually kind of prefer queer people to come to a show of mine that's a mixed audience like that because that's a, the level like that's going to be a better level of show than if I get a lineup of queer comics who I don't know what level that they're at because we you know we have a lot in the city we could probably do it now where we do a show but I couldn't do a monthly I'd have to be hitting regional up to bring in you know make it fresh yeah. and you know it's like and with not being concerned about just booking certain identities I can book anybody and make the show look like Atlanta. You know, there's plenty of comics to make the show kind of reflect the, you know, demographic of our audiences are young and old, black and white, Asian. You know, there's, everybody's there, straight, gay, poly, people who identify in ways that are different than what was described in my, you know, so it's like, you know, I'm, I'm heteroflexible. It's like, oh, was that bi? Well, not really. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm married, so who cares? <laughs> like, I don't really, I don't need to know. But yeah, and I, and I, and I like that better than being concerned about and what happens I'm described as a gay comic way more in like gay papers and gay press you know what I mean it's like yeah okay yeah you know what I mean like that's really where that comes into play yeah uh, more so you know it's funny too sometimes I'll write for the gay papers in town and Mike Fleming don't get mad at me for <laughs> saying this but I'll write something and then the headline they write for it is just like gays gaying it up in gay town you know what I mean and it's like and then yeah. we're queering it out with the queerness and but that's what they do and that's what they have to do to kind of like 
you know, that's what that's what those gay papers are. The content's still the same, but it's like all the headlines read like flaming it out with the gays, you know, it's like sun's out, guns out, party with the boys, you know, like Oh yeah, but yeah. that gets that sells the papers and yeah, gets yeah, the attention absolutely, and, absolutely. and does what it needs to do. And people will sort of rag on that, but it's like I go to those sites every day and I get a lot of legitimate news from those sites. Like a lot of the stuff that I'm hearing about what's happening in, you know, in especially in local gay news uh, about, you know, policy and politics. It's all coming from the same site where it's like everybody's killing it at Mimosa Mondays, right? You know, it's like thirty pics of all the hot guys at the party, and then the next thing is like they're taking your rights. You know, it's like so. But that might be what people need to, yeah. you know, because if you look at even like Netflix when um, when they used to do discs, this was back in the day, but they did a study <laughs> of like how many, like not only what discs were you getting, but how long did you have them. And they were saying like movies like Sophie's Choice and like these more serious movies, like people would get them and those discs would sit there on, on an average of a month apiece. Wow. But then like shit like Scrubs or, you know, I don't know, like uh, some sitcom kind of show, they were like in and out and, you know, the, the average was like three days to five days on those. So it was, it's the difference between what sometimes what people think they, they should watch or listen to or read about and what yeah. they actually do. So if you can, you know, kind of filter those things together that you might have a chance of people you know, delving more into things that they might not have otherwise. So that's oh, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, that's interesting. Smart marketing t- tactics. Interesting. Yeah. Well, no, it's cool too because it's like the thing, it's like, you know how sometimes you have to be ready to watch something? Yeah. And then there's other shows where you just put it on and it's in the background. I can I can see that with the, you know what I mean? Like oh, you, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like I get home from work, I had a shitty day. Yep. I'm not going to watch a three-hour movie about yep. the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> And absolutely. some fucked up shit. Like that's, it's, it's hard to get yourself yeah. to that place. I don't know. I'm, and But I will say I like being a gay comedian. I enjoy... Um, it's interesting how le- like you know it's the world itself seems to be becoming more homophobic, but th- this industry seems to be becoming slightly less homophobic to me. Especially Atlanta. Atlanta like was a little bit like you know everybody had like a fucked up gay joke when I first started. Yeah. <laughs> and it used to irritate. And 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 what I saw a lot of was like queer people would come and like dabble in comedy and get out of it real quick because the homophobia was sort of like unchecked. Maybe not rampant, maybe not explicit and overt, but like there, it was definitely there. And it seems now that like that there's a way more people kind of exploring themselves on stage in Atlanta rather than being like, here, I'm a straight guy and here's what I think about gay people. And I'm a straight guy. And let me tell you about my opinion on feminism. We have got these, these guys are actually getting up and talking about themselves instead. You know what I mean? And it's like incredibly refreshing. No, I think it's great. And I've seen it not come from like a queer audience, but just from an audience. You know, I've seen the, the, the lashing back of like, hey, don't say this fucked up thing about women or hey, don't say this fucked up thing about gay people absolutely. or don't speak to an experience that isn't yours and you're projecting your shit onto it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's always interesting. Yeah. So uh, what got you into like what was what got you into comedy? I probably so like I've been a fan of like stand ups so going to stand up shows and all that forever. So like Payne and I have been together for like 18 years and like our first Valentine's Day we went to see like Margaret Show at the Punchline. I love 19. Margaret Show. Yeah, yeah, she, she and she's someone who I mean she is queer and yep. she has advocated for the queer community. Oh, absolutely. Her first special was I think in '93. Yeah. And she has a whole bit about gay marriage. And she was advocating for this <laughs> shit when it wasn't popular, when yeah. it wasn't cool, when it actually got her a lot of you know lashing back from yeah, people. And absolutely. I, 
I respect the fuck out well, of her. Well, it's like at the time that she was doing that, there weren't gay people on TV. She, she was it, talking about gay people. Do you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like even, I don't even think then she identified as gay at that point, or a queer. You no, know what she I mean? has a joke that I think now wouldn't fly, but at the time I think was uh, comfortable for people where yeah. she would just be like, am I gay? Am I straight? No, yeah. I'm just slutty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. was, a, and now I, I, I don't know how well it would do in all audiences, but well, the point was, I'm the, sure the there's was a like, bisexual person who would yeah. feel like that that's a stereotype. <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, but yeah. The, the point was like, who cares? That. You know, yeah, like absolutely. that's and she she made her point very well. And yeah. you know, I think that one was from like maybe '96 or yeah. so when that would have been perfectly fine. Yeah. And it and, was. But in all honesty, though, I think that that's sort of like kind of where I think we're going. So like to me, the heteroflexible, like so, I, I have a few fr- like friends who identify as heteroflexible, and I'm like, you are bisexual when you get drunk. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's what that's my version of that. But they call it heteroflexible, and so for her, like the I'm just slutty, it's like. Yeah, that might actually be the future. The future might not even be that we identify as anything and that it's like, you know, sometimes people like, you know, it depends, you know, whatever mood you're in, you know, it's like that's what you want want tonight or whatever. But yeah, I definitely I definitely get that that's like and she has some jokes that like kind of paint gay people as like accessories and like my gays and all that kind of like that that notion that, you know, gay men are, and women have this natural affinity, which is mostly true. Um, but I definitely find sometimes that straight women will be like overly familiar with me or start talking to me about their sex life. And I'm like, chill, sweetie. I yeah. don't know you like that. We don't. <laughs> we, you know what I mean? We yeah. Didn't, we like, I don't know what TV's told yeah, you, yeah, but this is yeah, not the yeah, relationship yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to establish. Not yet. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, and that happens. That happens pretty. <laughs> that happens a lot. Like. Are straight women always assuming like you're gonna go shopping with them? So, I mean, not not as much. Okay. Uh, but when I was when I first came out, for sure, like in my early twenties, I think that was definitely the case a lot, and it still happens. And I and 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 it's kind of a hard subject to broach because it's like you know, hey, I appreciate you being so supportive, but you know, also, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not I'm not shit. that <laughs> I'm not that queen, sweetie, yeah. you know, or whatever. But yeah, it's it's this it's the how much you live into or steer away from the stereotype i think that's what it is i think that a lot of people have a a notion of what a gay person is and so that's how they act you know it's like the (laughs) my joke used to be about the you know yes i'm gay and no i don't want to talk to you about rupaul's drag race (laughs) (laughs) that's so true that's one of the first go-to things and i know i i was joking about the stereotype about the mall but i have a lot of straight girlfriends who um and that's what and this is another thing that margaret show i think is really amazing that she used to talk about herself as a fag hag that was her big thing absolutely and now in her last special that it was okay to be that yeah you know she's literally the first like woman to be like, oh, yeah, it's, gay people are cool to be friends with. Yeah, yeah. and then in her last special, she even addresses that and was like, I used to call myself this, yeah. and now I realize I shouldn't do that. And yeah. she came up with, I forgot the new name she had, but it was also yeah. very funny. Yeah. And it was, so she, she's, you know, she's like, okay, I did do this yeah. before, and now I realize, hey, that might not have been cool. Yeah. And I'm going to address that in my comedy, and she's yeah, yeah, just yeah. so good at that. Yeah. I think, though, a lot of times, like, I, wa- I went and rewatched, like, on, on Hulu or one of them, they've re-released all of these like the HBO half hours. From, oh, I've watched okay. Janine Garofalo. Yeah. That was one I, I still yeah. remember watching when I was yeah. like 13. Absolutely. And being so inspired by yeah. her. I rewatched hers and Kathy Griffin's. Did you see Kathy? Yeah. Kathy's was interesting because Kathy, that was like, so that's before my life in the D list, all that famous being famous was her thing, her shtick, right? So she yeah, was just a stand-up. Yeah, that was before she was like, I'm going to. But her, so she did all that. So in the, the one that I watched, she, it, it's just after the OJ Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A verdict. And she's talking about it. And the way she talks about it is an incredibly pro, it's like a feminist. It's so it's like she's sort of 
was in uh, way ahead of her time. So like if she was doing that material now in, in the modern context, not about OJ, obviously, she would be, everyone would be like, oh my God, she's amazing. You got to hear her. She's so good. But like then she was doing it then. It's like she wasn't even then remembered for that. Yeah. Like I watched that special and don't remember that part of that special. I watched that special and remember like the dumb, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. I remember her for other stuff. And when I watched it, I was like, wow, she really did. She really did have that for a minute. She was doing that. She was being. She, she's a smart, sharp yeah, comic, but yeah. she also learned that her talking about her celebrity encounters reached more people. Absolutely. Well, that was like the gay audience. That's what they want to hear. They want to hear yeah. you know, that. I, I guess. I don't know why. Like as she moved towards that, I liked her less and less, if that makes sense. It's like what I, what I liked about her was just a, her as a traditional stand-up. And when it was like, oh, my God, I was at Brooke Shields' wedding, it's like. Uh, you know, like, okay, no, yeah, the last uh, I saw her, I went to Biloxi, Mississippi. I drove out to see her, and this was a couple years ago, but I went out there to see her perform. It was in all, pretty much, like, mostly, because she's like, where are my gays at? That's the first thing. Where are my gays at? And, all, you know, all the guys cheer, where are my lesbians? And I'm like, yeah. And then, like, the straight people kind of, you know, yeah. uh, kind of clapped a little spark. So it was, like, mostly, like, a, a gay audience. And yeah. all she talked about were Bravo shows. At the time, yeah. she had the D-list show, I yeah, think, yeah. which is on Bravo. Yep. And then she talked about all the real house. Well, I, don't, all these, I don't watch any of the shows, so yeah. none of it was I didn't get it at yeah, all absolutely um, but I but I realized you know she's such a smart sharp comic and I wish she would go back to that other stuff absolutely. but you know she has now made a living and probably a deal with the Bravo devil to to continue <laughs> promoting their shows while yeah, promoting her know. show like, that's on their channel her latest turn has been the you know the shave the head the videos and the yeah the Trump stuff and then like, I mean, if she has a third act, I can't wait to see it because it's going to be interesting for sure either way. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely, and, and but like growing up, those were my favorite, my favorite comics were almost all women. So like George Carlin's in there, but my favorite oh, yeah. all-time comic as a kid, like growing up, was Paula Poundstone. Like oh, number my God, one. yeah. Like just, oh my God. And I've seen her like maybe nine times in my life, like a bunch. A lot for never being, like, never working with her, never meeting her professionally. You know what I mean? Like, all the times I've seen her have been, like, as, as a fanboy, even before I did comedy. So, yeah. no, I've seen, her, I've seen her once since I started stand-up. She's amazing. She, yeah, She's, she, like, the most, she does the most, like, interesting crowd work in the sense that she does crowd work kind of all through her show, gives everybody, like, a little nickname or has a little story about them or some little smart-ass thing to say about them. And then when she closes... Her closer like touches on every single person she's talked to and every nickname she's given. And it's like, I watched her do it in a theater and I swear she must have hit like 30 people in that closer, this person, this person, this person, this person. And then was like, done, thank you, good night. And I was like, Wow. Like just yeah. amazed. She's like a, if you want to say professional comic, like she's a professional. Oh yeah, you know, like, like just she, a master. You she's know? a master of her craft. Absolutely. And I, I wish she was more famous than she was. I think I think she does some sort of podcast now that that's, that's doing her podcast well, is pretty good. I don't. Uh, I think the issue is is that so she did a couple specials in the nineties. Um, which I don't know if you can, uh, well, one in the 80s and then one in the, or, or maybe two in the 90s, that maybe you can see them online, maybe you can't. So, there, like, if you went to look for her content, there's not a lot of content. For, so, a lot of people, like millennials and, and, and this, the Gen Z, I guess, is whatever, like these, early, they, I say Paul Poundstone, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Or they know the look. They know yeah. that she's, you know, like she looks like MC Scat Cat for some reason or whatever. And to know? me, she's like so big. She oh, came, um, she, she was dating someone that was on one of my shows and she actually showed up at the show apparently. Oh my God. Uh, thank God nobody told me until <laughs> after the show. Because after the show, I was talking to the, the tech person outside and she's like, oh, you mean Paula Poundstone? And I was like, 
why would I? What am I? Why would I be talking about Paula Poundstone right now? And she's like, oh, she was at the show, and I'm like, thank you for not telling, because I would have. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the kind of person, like her, absolutely. Margaret Cho or Janine Garofalo. Like I would have freaked the fuck. Out. I wouldn't have known what to do. Oh, absolutely. I would have just been on stage with my jaw dropped and saying nothing, because yeah, I'm like, I don't. Absolutely. You know, I can't. If do I ever this. saw her, yeah. I would never. I would be. I, Miss Poundstone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't even know if I could talk to her. <laughs> I don't know if I could look at her because I'd be like, oh my god. But I had that happen. That same kind of thing. Eddie Izzard. Oh, we, I fabulous. did the open mic at Laughing Skull, and he just kind of snuck in, and I didn't know who it was, but I saw somebody walk in and sit, and I did my set, and you can kind of see everyone in that room, and I could see that person laughing, and then they're like, that person that walked in was Eddie Izzard. So, like, yes. if I had known that who it was, I would have gotten out there and been like, uh, uh. Yeah, it would have added, like, an It would have made me nervous. Yeah. It would have definitely made me nervous. Because not that they're going to remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then at like, the they're going to know this forever. And then at the end of the night, like, a couple people went to get pictures with him, and they're like, do it, get a picture. I'm like, I couldn't. I can't. Yeah. I have a bad, I'm not a good, like, I, every time I've, like, ever had a conversation with a famous person, it's always, like, a weird like like I met Felicia Rashad once and it was kind of like a weird stilted like um uh uh like on my part yeah uh, <laughs> no I I get yeah I was yeah. weird I met Wanda Sykes at a charity event I got real weird because yeah. <laughs> I was like you're awesome and, <laughs> and like, I don't want to be like my dad and I used to joke about whether you'd be my stepmom or my girlfriend like that's you know not really a, an opener <laughs> that's pretty funny it's uh, yeah it's I met Felicia Rashad at Lenox Square Mall like in the 90s and I was like, oh, my gosh, you're Felicia Rashad. She's like, I am. I am Felicia Rashad. <laughs> and I'm, like, talking to her. And then, like, right when we were talking, somebody walks past us. And it's this big, giant, tall guy with bleach blonde hair wearing a giant leather duster coat that was completely covered in fringe. And he walks by. And Felicia Rashad goes, was that Dusty Rhodes? And it was fucking Dusty Rhodes who lives in Atlanta just walking through Lennox Mall. So like in the middle of me meeting somebody famous, she stopped and was like, knew who a wrestler was. And I was like, that's the most amazing. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I, was I would not thrilled. have expected that I was at pretty all. thrilled. I was just like, oh my God. And then can I ask um, how you met your husband? You and your husband together 18 years total? Yes. Married um, for? Nine. I should know not, that. not quizzing you. Not quizzing yeah, you. I should know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we met at, I, at the gay bar at Blake's on the park and I picked him up. I saw him. I would, I had gone to the bar and I wasn't wearing my glasses. Um, I wear glasses and I met this really cute guy with dimples and didn't really get to talk to him very long because his friend was like cock blocking was like, let's go to the other bar. Let's go to the other bar. Let's go to the other bar. So he leaves with his friend. I'm like, Oh, that's too bad. Um, and then this other guy shows up who looks sort of like him, but it's wearing a different shirt, like an uglier shirt. And I keep waiting for the first guy to come back. And then I finally settled. I was like, okay, well, this other guy, he's pretty cute too. And I started talking to him for a while. I was like, well, I was waiting for somebody else. I guess let's just get, I didn't say that to him, but yeah, I was like, this guy I was here. Like, Don't say that. So I took him back to my place. And, and then like two days later, I, like we met up again and we've basically been together ever since. Uh, so we basically hooked up, and the the joke is is that I didn't know his name for two days. So, <laughs> so for like we celebrate two anniversaries: the anniversary that I met him, and the anniversary that I learned his name. So yeah, you know, just like straight people. Yeah. But it turns out there wasn't two guys. He went home and changed his shirt, so oh, it was the okay. same guy. So I thought this one guy I was like waiting for to come back. It was, there was no other guy. It's just he had gone home and changed his shirt, and I'm so blind that I didn't <laughs> realize that there was the same. Yeah, see, that's the one thing with Tinder is at least, like, you know somebody's name because it's on your phone. Names are overrated, though, because, like, I used to go, I, would, I had a club name. You know, everybody had club names. That was, like, the thing. It's like, you don't, don't tell anyone your real name. So my club name was Dave. 
Dave. Yeah, I have a I have a nice, wonderful, unique name like Ian, but my club name was Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you could have had any name. I don't know. I just used Dave. You're like Club Dave. Yeah. <laughs> when you guys were deciding to get married, was that something you always wanted to do? Was it important for certain you know reasons as far as like the gay marriage trajectory with the legal battles and all that, or you know, well, a couple like things. why get married? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because I had never so like we had been together for like nine years, and I realized that I had never. Like, thought, like it never occurred to me that we could actually get married. So it wasn't even legal in Georgia, right? So it was legal in like eight states when we got married. And it just occurred to me. I was like, oh, my God, I could ask him to marry me, and we could get married. Like, that's a thing. That's, yeah. And so, like, you know, gay marriage had been around for almost eight, you know, seven, six, seven, five years, however long it had been in whatever states it's been in. And it took me that long for it to, like, sink in that, no, oh, this isn't going anywhere. This is actually going to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I didn't believe, I, at that time, I did not believe that it would be in all 50 states. And I still think that, it, like, something will happen and it will go back to limited limited edition or whatever. So when we got married, we, well, I might, you know, it's like I kind of joke about it. It's the, the, we got married and it was, like, the limited edition eight state. <laughs> and then we got to collect all the other ones as they became, you know, it's yeah. like. Yeah, where'd you get married at? We got married in Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah, and, and the other part was is that I had gotten sick at one point and had, like, an appendicitis. Like, they wouldn't let him in right away. So, like, they kind of, like, did the, oh, uh, and and so we didn't have that. We, he Basically, in Georgia, you'd have to, I'd, he'd have to have, like, power of attorney over me if we weren't married to yeah. come in the room and or permission from my, you know, and that's what happened. My, my family made sure that it was okay, and they let him in right away. Oh, that's um, but, it, but it was an issue. It was, like, something that we had been thinking about. So it's, like, I think that plus the fact that I just kind of had the epiphany, oh, my God, we could just get married, you know, and, and we don't have to have a wedding or, and that was part of it too, is like, I think the notion of having a wedding and having our families there and all that, just like, <laughs> that's just too straight, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, like, like it just, I think it gave everybody an upset stomach to think. <laughs> <laughs> like this isn't what we had in yeah. mind. Exactly. So we may though, for our 10 year anniversary, we may go ahead and like have a ceremony okay. and all that. But, um, because now it's legal in Georgia, so it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's why it's like now, because I know a lot of couples that were like, now that it is legal, we're going to talk about it, you know, and it might not be something that they were thinking about, or maybe it was something they always wanted. So I, I think it's an interesting perspective yeah. um, to have. And yeah, I'll, I'll just, uh, in Louisiana, what they did, and I was trying to write a joke about this, but I still haven't yet found the funny part, but what they used to do, and it wasn't for gay couples, they didn't create this, but they have adult adoption. So it's a thing that like they've just had and I'm not, I'm not really sure the origin of it, but you can adopt an adult. So what gay couples would do uh, is adopt their partner because that gives you the, all the legal rights, to, you know, so like your girlfriend would yeah. now be your daughter or yeah. your mother, depending on. So I think it's like a funny concept. I can't find the funny in it. And I think it makes straight people uncomfortable because I'm like, you guys that's did this. More like well, you know, I had, I had a joke for a long time that was our cover story. So we're married in the state of Massachusetts. But in Georgia, our cover story is that we're two brothers that fuck because uh, that's slightly more palatable to the people of Georgia. Is incest is just like right there above being gay, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And if you look at uh, the Pornhub, they had the most popular Pornhub terms. And it, was all, it was all incest. It was like uh, brother, sister, mother. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was just gets real, it gets real weird. When you make a joke about that, people don't like it either. Mm -mm. I'm like, that's, that's a strange thing. But yeah, thank you so much, Ian, for talking with us. Oh, and I can't wait to see you for the rest of this festival. Yay! All right, thank you. For Ian Abert! Hello, how you guys doing? Yeah! My last name, Abert, is actually Welsh. 
and it means fat homosexual with a beard, so... <laughs> I'm intelligent design standing right in front of you tonight, you know? It's like, God made me this way, he made me this gay, and he did it on the seventh day. A lot of straight people think he was resting on the seventh day. Uh-uh, he was making gay people in secret. <laughs> and that's why we honor him every Sunday with brunch. That's why we do it. <laughs> it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the holy shit, are those bottomless mimosas? Is that what's happening? Is that... I'm married, my husband and I, we've been together for 17 years. Um, thank you, for sure. Sometimes people clap, sometimes people don't clap, and they're thinking, oh, you're gonna burn in hell, sure, sure. Uh, but then there's always people thinking, wait, he has somebody and I'm gonna die alone? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> that is God's plan for you, I am highly favored. Um, <laughs> my husband's from South Georgia, uh, so he's not the smart one in the relationship. Um, uh, yeah. he, uh, he grew up around guns and hunting, he owns guns. And I've never shot a gun the whole time we've been together. And then recently he's been like, you need to learn how to shoot a gun. And I'm like, I don't even know how to turn on the grill. Uh, and it turns out we don't have a grill, we just have a garbage can that I try to light fires in and make hot dogs. But he's like, well, what are you gonna do when the straight people come to the house to try to kill us? And I'm like, well, first of all, who put that on the calendar? Um, but he's like, you need a weapon. And I was like, okay, fine, fine, fine. So I came up with something. So on his nightstand, he has a gun. And on my nightstand, I have a can of wasp spray and a lighter. Because any straight people come to break into my house, I'm going down the way that I lived, dramatic and just flaming. It's just... When I was a little kid, everybody knew I was gay because uh, I was diagnosed with it very early. Um, I was also diagnosed with a case of what my father called flamboyant hand gesture syndrome. Um, and the way it would manifest is I would come home from kindergarten, he'd go, how was your day? And i go, well, father, they made us take a nap at 11 at kindergarten, who does that? And he'd be like, do you think you can tell me about your day without waving your hands around? And I'd be like, I doubt it. And then he'd grab my hands and hold them down to my sides and ask me how my day was again so I couldn't move them. He'd be like, how, now Ian, tell me how your day was. And I'd be like, well, it was fine until this, Father! <laughs> Came out to my parents at an Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> because I wanted it to hurt as much as possible. An Outback Steakhouse is the closest thing my parents will ever have to a gay bar or safe space. So I waited until they had two Foster's Bia's and they dropped the Blooming Onion and I pointed out, I said, for every petal on this Blooming Onion represents a dick that I sucked, Father! I'm gay! And then he ate the whole thing. It was the best Father's Day ever, guys. It's... I see a lot of skinny people here tonight. Congratulations on that. Um, I am not that, I'm, I'm having issues with food. I had a, a sort of like a rock bottom, like food is my drug the other day. Um, I bought enough Taco Bell for myself that when I put it in the passenger seat, it, it set off the fasten seat by the wall. I know, right? God was trying to tell me something, shit! I had another rock bottom recently that was even worse than that. I got caught by my husband, uh, secret eating in the middle of the night. He caught me in the kitchen at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, naked, um, eating sugar out of the bag. 
with my hand. Um, and he caught me mid-scoop, so there was a distinct sound of as it poured through my fingers. And when he caught me in this uh, situation, he wasn't like, you know, you have an issue with food, I'm here to help you, I love you, support you. Nah, nah, none of that. He settled on more of a, aha! That's why we have ants! And here's what happens when your loved one catches you in that incredibly vulnerable situation. They have all the power in the relationship forever. Now when anything comes up and I suggest something, he's like, uh, 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 I got this night sugar, don't worry about it. He changed our Wi-Fi to night sugar and the password, the password is that's why we have ants, all caps. My name's Ian Avery, that's my time. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your show. so much for tuning in and thank you to our sponsor Jesus Christ Nail Salon. When people think of Jesus Christ they always think about how he is the son of God and died for our sins and is a musical superstar. What they forget is his nails were always on point. Jesus was modest and even in Da Vinci's The Last Supper he has his palms upright hiding the glory of his nails from the world. But we have done some research, googled some shit, and now we can bring to you Jesus Christ Nail Salon. Get your nails done the way Jesus would have wanted. Get nailed! Thank you to our guest, Ian Aber, for sharing his world with you. Special thanks to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the show. Thank you to all our friends and supporters out there. Thank you all for listening and giving us a shot. You can catch Greetings from Queer Mountain, Queer Storytelling Show live in New Orleans, Austin, and New York City, and coming soon to San Francisco. Check out our Facebook page for more information. Goodbye, y'all. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 